Welcome to the Limbaugh podcast, where we talk about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, who's won it, who should win it, and maybe a couple who shouldn't. I'm Christine Sear. I'm Clay Russell. And I'm Brian Tuck. That was a very folksy, like, homey intro that you had there, Christine. Was I'm it? feeling, I'm like, very NPR vibes right now. Is that just oh, me, you. Brian? Uh, no, I figured it was the spirit of Americana bestowed mm. into Christine by the Super Bowl. Yeah, a lot of a lot of wheat fields blowing in the wind. That's yeah. what I'm picturing. Speaking of, I didn't even watch. This is probably a great time to mention that. But we guys, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl um, and sort of a try to try to shoehorn it into the subject of the podcast. What do you think? Yeah, it's and you know what? Like, even <laughs> if you don't give a shit about football, like the Super Bowl is the most watched event in the United States. And so it does have that cultural cachet and and captures a period in American culture of what it's like for that particular year. So it's absolutely relevant. All right. Let's... Also, I did text you both from my Super Bowl party because the person who got to flip the coin at the beginning of the Super Bowl was Billie Jean King, who I feel mm-hmm. like we talk about every week on this podcast. And her introduction was the only female athlete to ever be honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Out of everything that they could have gone with, that's what they that's how they introduced her. Yeah. Did you say first or only? Because I think that Babe Dickerson uh, was awarded by Trump. Wasn't she posthumously? Am I wrong? You know what? Uh, I'm absolutely wrong on that. So no, ignore me. You're right, Billy Jean. We King. don't even have to wait till next week for you to apologize. You're doing it. You're doing it live. That's true. I apologize sincerely. I also apologize about not being invited to a Super Bowl party, but Brian was. Sorry, it was very uh, exclusive. <laughs> I spent like my entire twenties going to Super Bowl parties, and uh, yeah, I think I'm done. Yeah, Brian, what was what was the crowd like? Were were you guys like would you talk during the game and then everyone had to be silent during the commercials? Was that the vibe? Was it vice versa? How did it go? Uh it was pretty freewheeling. It was um like a lot of like people turning to me and being like, Who is that? whenever a commercial came on, because they were like, you know, it's that guy from that movie. And I'd be like, Oh, it's whoever. And there were a lot of times where They'd be like, I don't, th- what, what are they referencing in this? And I would like have to, you know, explain like, oh, it's a take on this. And, you know, like, it was just a lot of me explaining pop culture stuff to straight people. And then them having to explain to me like what a first down is, which did not go great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who was it that looked into athletes that have won the Medal of Freedom? Was that you, Brian? It sure was. I um, Drop some knowledge on us. Well, as we discussed, um, Billie Jean is the only female um, athlete to be awarded. Famously, Tiger Woods uh, has been awarded it. Uh, that was like one of the few people that Trump awarded it to. Who was well-known not... and world-renowned cheater, awarded by Donald <laughs> Trump. American do values. You mean, <laughs> do you mean in the sports or on his wife? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of the golf course? Uh, but yeah, you also have, um, also by uh, Trump, you have Babe Ruth. Uh, Well-known had... and world-renowned cheater. Just saying. <laughs> you have Michael Jordan. You have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Well-known and world-renowned cheater. Just saying. <laughs> you have Hank Aaron and Arnold Palmer. 
uh, which was exciting for me because I had no idea that Arnold Palmer was an athlete. I thought he just created the half iced tea, half lemonade. No, so. you didn't. <laughs> Who did you think the face was on the bottle? Yeah. As as the son of a uh, golfer who played collegiate golf, I uh, you know let's hope he doesn't listen to the podcast at that point. Steve, Steve, we're so sorry. I am joking. I of course remember that he was a golfer because he was on that commercial with Kevin Nealon where they play golf together. And that was like maybe about five or six years ago. Cause I mean, he's been dead a while. And yes, I remember yeah. like, that was the first time that I realized like, Oh wow. Arnold Palmer is a person and they are alive. <laughs> um, which, you know, that was a lot to unpack, but, um, I yeah. don't know much about his golfing, but I know that that is a great drink. It is <laughs> great. golfers. <laughs> seem to be a good American as well. So yeah, yeah. No, no qualms there. Yeah, I do think that there are some interesting things to to pull from this yeah. list that we'll post it in the show notes of you do kind of get the character of the president through through their mm. choices as well. Uh, I think that there's a large difference between Barack Obama, who definitely would pick athletes that had a strong presence in social justice and being outspoken, whereas Donald Trump was more of that traditional route, uh, especially when he was giving awards to people that had been dead for over half a century. Uh, and yeah, I did think that one interesting thing about one of his choices was Babe Ruth. Uh, Babe Ruth, for people that don't know, would uh, nonstop be cheating on his wife and preferred prostitutes Quote, because Ruth neither had the time nor the inclination to court properly. So who also has a parallel with that that has recently been in the White House? Mm. Uh, Babe Ruth also missed multiple games in his career due to a bad case of syphilis. So uh, who knows all those times when Donald Trump had to take a medical leave if, uh, if it was actually what they were saying the explanation was was reality. Guys, we're just asking questions, okay? We're just asking questions. Something else I read about Babe Ruth, which is kind of tracks with everything you've said, is, like, he had some kind of, like, I don't know if he was in the foster system. He had some sort of, like, really rough childhood and was basically yes. just, like, a giant baby. Like, he was yes. just, like, was a simple guy. He wanted to bang lots of prostitutes and eat and drink a lot and play this game that he was incredibly good at. But, like, he he just, like his maturity level like never got beyond like a teenage boy as someone who uh, is again late to the game and watching the queen's gambit for the first time mm. there is a major parallel between that storyline and babe ruth the state took him away from his his parents because it was such a rough childhood in baltimore was sent to an orphanage essentially and was discovered his talent of baseball through a priest and that's how he became world-renowned. And, you know, it was both uh, a blessing and a curse of his major talent because as someone who grew up in that state system had no idea what to do with wealth and had no idea how to kind of behave in public and, and really uh, yeah, really <laughs> cause some damage. So you're saying that Anya Teller-Joy is the dark horse to play him in a biopic? Yes, and I haven't finished the series yet, but I imagine that there's a strong plot line about syphilis. Is that also right? Uh, you know, I watched it so long ago when it aired originally, so I cannot <laughs> comment on the subject matter. Okay, I assume that there will be. Let me know. I don't want there to be any not. spoilers. 
Uh, but when you look at that list of athletes who have received the medal, I think what's uh, very kind of surprising about it is that, uh, to tie it back to the Super Bowl, is there's only three American football players who are... Um, yeah, that really ...who have been awarded. Uh, Alan Page, Roger Stubach, uh, both by Trump. And then you have to go all the way back uh, to the 80s, I believe... Uh, Reagan gave it to somebody named Earl Blake, uh, who I do not know. I was going to say, it's interesting to me, there's only been three football players, and I've never heard of any of them. Uh, Roger Staubach was the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Again, Steve Russell, if you're listening, I apologize for for the oversight here. I'm so sorry that we're not more up on our Texas culture. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have Texas history in high school. You know, you do look at this list, and... There are some interesting people here. I think that uh, the common thread with this list is that it's athletes who almost transcended their sport. I think that, you know, one of the, uh, the, I guess, attributes to being awarded a Medal of Freedom is someone who was able to further American culture through their talent. And I think that a lot of these people absolutely had that with... Uh, Hank Aaron, who, if people don't know who that is, he was the all-time home run leader and was one of the first African-American players in baseball who received some pretty vicious racist threats when he got close to beating the record uh, and always held his his head up high. He passed away a couple of years ago, but absolutely awards it. Uh, as a tennis player, Arthur Ashe, absolutely on that list as well uh, in terms of his social justice causes and being uh, one of the first... I guess, celebrities to pass away from AIDS. Uh, one that stands out to me is Muhammad Ali being awarded by George W. Bush because certainly for a large segment of the United States back in the 1960s, Muhammad Ali was as, as scary and divisive as it gets. I think that, that he makes Kanye look uh, look meek in comparison to, to... Well, and especially the idea that he like converted to Islam... Um, like, you would think that W wouldn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Not only Islam, but, like, a very radical sect who preached uh, segregation between the races. And it was some pretty wild stuff that, that he was into. Uh, but then again, he was a obviously a probably the most famous protester of the Vietnam War by refusing to be drafted. So... I could see that baby boomer generation wanting to to kind of overlook some of the the rougher edges that he had to to give him that award. Are uh, you mad at him because he had your name as one of his names and he changed it? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie to you. Uh yeah. Cassius Clay, that's a great name. It's a fantastic name. It really is. So, I'm a little upset with that. Yeah. And you know what? You can you can still keep your name if you convert to Islam. So, just the fact that that he gave it up hurts. I won't lie to you. <laughs> On behalf of the clays of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brutal. Uh, and then in the Obama years, he, because he was a basketball player, absolutely leaned into that with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, another person who changed his name, formerly Lou Alcindor, uh, very much into social justice. He actually was one of Muhammad Ali's allies in the 1960s. Uh, and Michael Jordan, famous for not being politically outspoken, but he absolutely, through his his plane, furthered 
the oh, American yeah. image. And yep. so he, he, out of anyone on this list. We've all seen The Last Dance. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, the, you know, there's that incredible footage of during the Olympics and, like, how how much, you know, him being all over the world, America was essentially celebrated and lionized because he yeah. was he was there you kind of playing all over, over the, the world, world wearing Chicago Bulls hats. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, there are literally scenes of people waving American flags as well who had never been to yeah. America. And so, yeah. Sorry to back up just one second, though. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it's important to note, um, he entered my life in his cameo in the movie Airplane, which was one Not of... Not a cameo. That was like... He was a character. He was the pilot. He's got to have a SAG card. He was in uh, a Bruce Lee movie as well. Huh. Yeah. And not like retirement cream. That was like prime career cream. Wasn't he wearing like basketball shorts in the uh, flying the plane? Yeah, it could be. Oh, my God. At the risk of us going on too long, we do have something else to talk about. This week we're doing um, a Trump pick, which means we're, we've made it up to the former guy. And we're going to, which means next week we're going to loop back around to JFK. And you know why? Because Joe hasn't picked any, uh, picked any recipients yet. So let's talk Not about yet. that. Yeah. 13 months into the term, no mm-hmm. pick yet. I, uh, I think that, that Biden may be taking his time, but I also don't think he's going to half-ass his picks. I bet when he does announce his picks, they will be very thoughtfully planned out. I mean, the interesting thing is I feel like, um, and in a second, we can run down just like at least the last few presidents, how long they waited before their first ceremony. Um, It's interesting because on the one hand, it's like, well, maybe they, you know, his team, they feel like it's, we're kind of in a dual crisis between coronavirus and the economy. And so it's just like, you know, you might be opening yourself up to criticism by having this like party. Um, But then it's also like such a PR slam dunk that you're like shouldn't they do it soon to kind of like have a pretty universally positive uh press cycle and also it's it's a it's a home run whenever you announce those picks you really can't screw it up i don't think anyone even trump ever screwed up their picks necessarily so yeah Yeah, as we mentioned like they're all kind of like on brand for him like so, yeah, just to run it back, Trump, uh, okay, so he was 22 months into his first and only term when he had his first pick. Uh, as we sort of mentioned before the show started, like, some of that could just be chalked up to in administrative incompetence more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama was quick uh, compared to everyone else. Seven months in, he was like, bam. Obama has to be the biggest sports fan out of anyone in the Medal of Freedom era. So Mm -hmm. I could see him, you know, wanting to to do that. Also, he had a deal with Oprah and she was like, I'm going to make you president and you're going to give me this medal. And she was like, tick tock, buddy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So George Bush, uh, sorry, W. Bush uh, is an interesting one. So he went 17 months. um, So not quite as long as Trump, but kind of a long time. And if you think about the timing of <laughs> the beginning of his presidency, you know, there was sort of a uh, grace period um, delaying this after 9-11 and the immediate aftermath. So his was in June. He gets a, he gets a pass on that. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll let that slide. June 2002. Um, and then Clinton, uh, his first term, he waited 11 months. So a little under a year. 
and Clinton did his first round of picks. So Joe is not like outside of the, you know, this is just the last few modern presidents just to keep it keep it tight. He's not outside of the the range here, but it does sort of start, you know. And we're particularly excited because um, nothing about this podcast is newsworthy until he does it. So mm-hmm. we're really, yeah. you know, for our numbers alone, we really want him to, to make some picks. I think he just doesn't want to hold a ceremony where everyone has to wear a mask. I like I saw that uh, First Lady Biden um, went to see six on Broadway Mm-hmm. And they're all wearing the same mask. Like, you can tell that they're trying to avoid a snafu like Stacey Abrams fell into, where she took mm-hmm. her mask off to take a photo with children. And, uh, like, it's not just the principals. Like, it's everyone who's, like, you know, the band, the support, the director. They all have on the same kind of black uh, N95 mask that uh, Dr. Jill Biden has on. And I was, I obviously I was thrilled that she saw it, and I was like, oh wow, this is such great press! Like you know, this Broadway, is such a fantastic yeah. show. I want that photo to run in People magazine and every weekly celebrity-driven tabloid. But um, I was like, oh man, that really stinks that um, these people have their photo with the first lady of the United States and they're wearing masks. Like mm-hmm. you know, those people from Hamilton are like, we got our photo with Beyonce and we didn't have to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> or like imagine the Ellen getting the medal meme like that wouldn't have been as funny if three quarters of her face was covered up like her cry face <laughs> yeah no it would not be uh-uh. uh, you know what's not funny is Ellen having a medal um, thanks Obama <laughs> he didn't know yeah. Uh, yeah so we're eagerly anticipating that um, that's gonna do you guys want to take a shot at who do we think mm. will be mm-hmm. will be honored who was it that we said last week we were shocked hasn't gotten it yet? Ooh. Or, or am I making that up? Sometimes I don't know what we talked about on the pod versus what we talked about ourselves. I know at one sta- one of the things that we talked about last week was that uh, Dr. Fauci already has a medal, but we think that he'll go for his second one with distinction. With distinction. That was one, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm trying to think like the things that are close to... Jo- Wait, didn't we talk about this? Ben and Jerry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, because he loves ice cream Because he so loves much. ice cream and, and because like there's... Like American business owners. Yeah, and, and they're very committed to, like, employee equity and, like, human rights stuff. And, like, they're just a bunch of cool dudes from um, from Vermont. And I feel like then Bernie's going to show up at the ceremony with, like, some mittens and, like, a manila folder. It's going to, like, it'll... That'll be great. But, like, we'll sit, like, 20 feet away from everyone else, just kind of in a corner <laughs> on a folding chair. <laughs> With a pint of, like, Ben and Jerry's ice cream that's long been discontinued that they're still, yes. like, making in secret for him. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Um, I think in the last six months, Betty White has jumped to the front of that list. She'll get a posthumous. Yeah. Um, yep. I think the idea that she went to the White House several times uh, during the Obama era, you know, to, like, hang out. Whenever they got a dog, it seems she just showed up. Um, and didn't get the medal from him is surprising in hindsight. Um, yeah, yeah not th- to be too morbid, but you do kind of want to be on the lookout for people that may be at the end of their lives that, that haven't been honored yet. And so, yeah, I think that they may give a posthumous to Betty White. Uh, one person that I have in mind is Harry Belafonte, who is 94 years young right now, born in 1927. He uh, mm-hmm. was obviously an entertainer and a, a figure in the civil rights scene. So it'd be great if, if he was honored uh, for his contributions. Yeah. If for nothing else, the, you know, the, those two scenes in Beetlejuice that his music helped inspire. 
Um, well, and I wonder if there are themes that are going to emerge because when I was looking at the Obama class and took out William Fagey, <laughs> I overlooked a lot of actually civil rights um, leaders and figures that Obama awarded because that's clearly something that's important to him. And so it's just interesting to think about, um, you know, hopefully there'll be more than one round for Biden, but um, seeing what emerges in terms of like, his priorities and his values based on who he picks. And mm -hmm. I honestly hope that we get people like William Fagey, like people who are for whom this medal is significant to like elevate their profile and to get people to look like, who is this person and look back and be like, wow, this, you know, this person did yeah, something Yeah, they're not amazing. in the gossip columns every Yeah, week. instead of people yeah. that we know probably way too much about because they're already mm -hmm. super famous. Um, yeah. So that's... That's going to be a fun one. Um, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I can see a Hillary Clinton pick coming yeah. up. Uh, yeah. What about... I see um, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg coming. What mm -hmm. about um, John Kerry? Has he never received it? If he has it, just give it to his wife, the lady who owns the ketchup. Teresa Heinz True. Kerry? I think between his, yeah, his military service and his political service, public service, um, that would be an easy one. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, I could see uh, with him, uh, as Brian mentioned, uh, kind of reconnecting with the press. I could see a Woodward and Bernstein medal. Uh, please, while they're still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting to think about who, which Republicans or Republican sort of elder statesmen might he pick because it's hard to remember now. We always say how bipartisanship is dead, but I... <laughs> I think Joe Biden, historically, you know, when you go back in his career, has been bipartisan. So I'm, I'm sure that there will be some Republicans in the mix. I'm curious. Probably a posthumous John Kerry. Well, John Kerry's still alive. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what happened to John Kerry? Yeah. I'm sorry. A posthumous John McCain. Yes. <laughs> there uh, we go. I apologize to both Steve Russell and John Kerry and John Kerry's family. He apologizes to people named John yeah. with like Irish last name. Somewhere, Meghan McCain is so angry. My father. I don't know why. My father. Yeah. yeah, she's just pissed and she thinks it's like Whoopi's fault. Oh, she's not even on The View anymore. Whatever. No. Uh, so I don't know, guys. It's going to be really fun. We're going to probably have like multiple emergency pods uh, between the announcement and the ceremony. So if it's Weeks away or months away, we'll be there. I'm hoping that we get like a Jen Saki, like, um, you know, tip off where she's like, oh, and on Friday, we're going to have uh, the president down here with us. This way, like, we can like compile an actual list of predictions. Mm -hmm. I love it. Can't wait. Hell, we should do a live show when it's announced. Seriously, that'll be our Super Bowl. Like us yeah. just storming into the bell house in Brooklyn <laughs> and being like, we're here to do a podcast. And I was like, yeah. who are you? Just like we show up with our own folding table and placemat and just like have the live broadcast right there. Um, right. So the last thing before we go on to Brian's uh, titular <laughs> profile. It's the titular role, Christine. We we slept. He's on... also kept it a secret too. I have no idea who Brian is picking. So you know what? Let's keep it a secret until he actually announces it. Uh, very well. So we just we kind of slept on some rat news last week, didn't we, Clay? Yes, it's the segment that nobody asked for and nobody particularly wants, but we do 
have rat news. Mm-hmm. I'd like to preface this with uh, a story that I had a couple of weeks ago. There was a snowstorm. Uh, I was walking to a party in uh, the Prospect Heights area of Brooklyn. Uh, just that type of storm where the snow is just flying right in your face. And, and you're trudging along. You know what it's like when you're in a blizzard. You're just kind of focusing just right in front of you, just one step at a time. And there's a little raised snow embankment kind of next to the path that you're walking. And so I'm just, you know, walking one step at a time. And I look over to my right and I see that there's a rat right next to me, like also trudging through the snow. Like, and we kind of have a, had a little partnership. We were, you, we were like, trudging together. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he wasn't scared of me. I wasn't scared of him. We just kind of got through it together. And... You know, I felt like we had a real connection, and then I went to my party, and I hope that he went off to his party with rats as well. I'm sure that they were all wearing little top hats and tiny party poppers as well. Uh, I am a little bit concerned now that I know that that rat might have been carrying COVID at the time. (laughs) There is a new article that has come out uh, that they've been doing analysis of New York City's sewer system and is noticing a mutation of COVID that might be coming from rats. Uh, I think that that is terrifying. Uh, again, I think that we got a lot of slack from our listeners that we were pro-rat. Again, I think that I read stories like this that rats could be bringing the mutation that officially ends the world. And as you can tell, no, we are not pro-rat. We're concerned about this. And, uh, you know, I think that it's only logical that Eric Adams starts a program where he hands out a mask to every single rat in the city. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. We need some leadership in this city, and we need it now. Absolutely. And I think that there obviously are going to be uh, rats that are skeptics out there. Uh, Rats are famously uh, contrarians that are out there, and they may be listening to Joe Ratkin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause on that joke real quick. Okay. Just, uh, I'm not going to edit this out. Just going to. Just gonna let that sit. Okay, okay great. Now that everybody, I'm is... done. Uh, yes, this has been Rat News. Back to you, Christine. All right. Well, like I said, our super secret Brian profile is coming right up. It's not going to be in the title or anything, uh, you know, no. or the description. Uh-huh. But they've made it 29 minutes in, and they have no idea, <laughs> no clue. This is our first surprise metal choice Who of could the it be now? Uh Okay, so don't forget to follow us at Limbaugh Podcast on Twitter. And we'll be right back. When we come back, Brian reveals his mystery person. We found out, or what Clay reminded us, was a year ago today, I posed a question to our group chat, and history was made. Um, Yesterday, uh, I believe marks one day, uh, we're recording this on Friday, um, on February 17th, 2021, the year of our Lord, um, Rush Limbaugh died. And 
what's interesting about it is 13 months earlier during the State of the Union, he had been nom- he had been honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Don- uh, President Donald Trump. And because there was so much stuff that had gone on at that State of the Union and like, you know, the every day in Trump's America was just a media dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also a month before COVID. COVID oh. shutdown. But was that the one where, like, Nancy Pelosi, like, tore the speech up and then the clapping and the memes? Like, there was just a lot of stuff that happened in that State of the Union. And somehow we as a nation drew a veil over the fact that Rush Limbaugh got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So when he passed away uh, during the write-ups and coverage, it kind of resurfaced and we were living in... Joe Biden's America. And at that point, like vaccines were rolling out. We were, you know, kind of on a high point. We were, yeah. uh, In terms of our uh, optimism for the future. And we finally had the time to take that apart. And in our group chat, which is now called the Limbaugh, but wasn't at the time, I asked the question, if you were the president of the United States, who is the first person you would give the Presidential Medal of Freedom to? And who would be your Limbaugh? And Clay actually said, please do not answer that. <laughs> this is a podcast if I've ever heard of it. <laughs> and now it is. Yeah. And I felt that um, uh, as Christine, you know, kind of uh, just said in our first segment, we have cycled through the uh, presidents who have bestowed Presidential Medal of Freedoms. And to me, I could not do a Trump era pick without first doing Rush Limbaugh. Um and I figured this would be a good time for us to actually answer that question, finally, on the record, who your Limbaugh would be. Uh, but first, I'll give you... I'm going to kind of keep it light. I feel like if you know a lot about Rush Limbaugh, you probably like him. If you know what I'm about to tell you, you probably don't like him. Um, and then I actually did a tremendous amount of research on this because um, there was a skit I wanted the two of you to recreate for the supplemental mm-hmm. showdown. But I can't get the transcript without joining RushLimbaugh.com, and that just oh, felt no. like a step too far yes. for me. Yeah. But I do have a uh, Wikipedia article with his uh, apology uh, for one of his like very famous um, controversies. Yeah. Um, Rush Limbaugh was born January 12th, 1951. He was an American radio personality, conservative political commentator, author, and television host. He most famously hosted the widely syndicated Rush Limbaugh show. Um Obviously, when we do these profiles, the first thing we do is kind of, like, look for just some stuff on the Wikipedia page to research. And I have to say, like, I know every so often, like, a screenshot of someone's Wikipedia page will go viral. And it's like, you know, um, closeted homosexuality, alcoholism, prison time, exile, banishment. And you're like, that's a Wikipedia page. (laughs) Rush Limbaugh's Wikipedia page is the most wild Wikipedia page I've ever seen. Uh. It includes sections like... Views on, and the views on section contains race, LGBT and AIDS, sexual consent, <laughs> drug policy, environmental issues, feminism, abortion, the Middle East, trade, Barack Obama conspiracy theories, relationship with Donald J. Trump, alleging false flags. Then there's a set, the next one after that is controversies and inaccuracies. And I've only taken like the ones that really stood out to me. Uh, under, uh, under, Controversies and inaccuracies. We have Scientific Fact, Joseph Coney, Chelsea Clinton, Michael J. Fox, Phony Soldiers, the bid for ownership of the Los Angeles Rams, and the COVID-19 pandemic. And then just because I was looking for something to kind of, you know, like soften him, like there had to have been 
something. I under personal life, it's prescription drug addiction, Viagra incident, health problems, and then death. That's it. That's his whole Wikipedia page. Wow. Um, Again, this is a presidential <laughs> medal of freedom recipient. Yeah. Yeah. And a very high profile one. Like, I mean, he literally had Melania sitting next to him and she like pulls it out of her purse or something and like puts it on his neck on, on the, on the feed. Like, I mean, it's insane to think that usually like, you know, you might get a, uh, ABC tonight with David Muir, like, and now in closing, uh, president Obama gave out the presidential medal of freedom today. And it's like, you know, footage of him putting it on Ellen. This was like, prime time viewing that we got this and this is who this person is um there was an article that i read again like i was kind of looking for something searing and juicy for us to read um from the washington post of all places where somebody who is very centrist um did kind of say like obviously the first thing that comes to mind is what i've kind of run down with you know his uh, horrible comments on uh, aids victims and uh, sexual consent and, you know, like, I believe he has a quote that says, yes, uh, no means yes if you know how to find it. And, but they did kind of point out that, like, radio had been a dying medium. And when he came about with his national show, it kind of opened the door for radio to kind of have a, a second or third even uh, life. And they talk about, like, all of the things that he kind of uh, did as, you know, like a real... Um, icon in that medium, uh, which was interesting. Uh, and there was a point where I was like, oh, I'll read a little bit of this. But then every other article I read kind of, you know, reminded me who I was dealing with and I thought better of it. But um, yeah, that is um, the good Rush Limbaugh. When um, Sandra Fluke was invited uh, to speak at the Senate about um, certain organizations like uh, churches and uh, religious organizations uh, didn't have to provide funding for um, birth control and family planning um, materials. Uh, Rush Limbaugh got very upset that she was given a platform uh, by the Democrats and that she was able to speak. Uh, she was a 30-year-old uh, Georgetown law student, and he talked about her on his show for months. And um, finally, it came to a head, and he had to issue an apology. And I feel like there were too many things that we could have, that I could have suggested that we read that would have just been horrible. And, you know, if you ever ran for Senate, they would have audio footage of you <laughs> saying something that Rush Limbaugh said. <laughs> uh, so I figured instead we would go for the apology. And the tone that I'm looking for when you read this apology is I want you to obviously harness the spirit of the dearly departed Mr. Limbaugh. Um, but you have to remember, like, you're apologizing and you don't want to, so you can't be too convincing. Uh, I could start, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, you might as well. You are the returning champ. Okay. For over 20 years, I have illustrated the absurd with absurdity three hours a day, five days a week. In this instance, I chose the wrong words in my analogy of the situation. I did not mean a personal attack on Miss Fluke. I think it is absolutely absurd that during these very serious political times, we are discussing personal sexual recreational activities before members of Congress. I personally do not agree that American citizens should pay for these social activities. 
What happened to personal responsibility and accountability? Where do we draw the line? <laughs> if this is accepted as the norm, what will follow? I'm giving him like a... a I'm going to keep going. <laughs> will, we be, will we be debating if taxpayers should pay for new sneakers for all students that are interested in running to keep fit? In my monologue, I posited that it is not our business whatsoever to know what is going on in anyone's bedroom. Nor do I think it is a topic that should reach a presidential level. My choice of words was not the best, and in an attempt to be humorous, I created a national stir. I sincerely apologize to Ms. Luke for the insulting word choices. So I felt that it was important to get that on the record because (laughs) um, in my research on Rush Limbaugh, I realized that he did not apologize very frequently. And that is why that apology has its own Wikipedia page, because (laughs) it was a rare instance. Um, Great job with the reading. I felt um, pandered to and like, you know, the sense of disbelief that the meaning of your words was so palpable. Um, It pains me to do this, um, but I'm going to give it to Clay again. Um, No, I went like a little Nixon, didn't I? You did go a little Nixon. Can I be honest with you? When I opened my mouth and started reading and heard how close I sounded like Rush Limbaugh, I scared myself. It was like I I actually got scared when I did that. I find that sometimes a lot of your voices sound the same, but this one was so distinct and so accurate that I was right. like, ooh, I, I loved it and I hated it. <laughs> like that came, that came out of a, a part of my soul that I did not know existed. Oh, it was deep in there. It was in the marrow. Mm. Um, so the million dollar question, guys, who would be your Limbaugh? Um, I figure I'll set some parameters for the listener. Um, I could have gone either way with it where it's somebody who like your is like maybe a problematic or kind of underqualified fave, which was like the kind of generous route that I was going to take, uh, if we went that way. But I think what we've decided is that it's somebody who you either feel is completely undeserving of it or somebody who you begrudgingly respect and you have to admire the fact that they do deserve it. Can I give you my theory on Rush Limbaugh? And this is not only about Rush Limbaugh himself, but I think that a lot of the broadcast and media figures that are out there today, Mm. I think the majority of what he said on the air, he didn't believe. I think that it was bullshit. No. I think that this guy had such a lack of soul that he intentionally would whip up people into a frenzy and say these outlandish things because remember that he made millions of dollars off of these horseshit books that he would sell as well. I think that he was a Republican without a doubt, but I don't think that he believed everything that he said. I think that he was a huge fraud uh, and... I think it's going to be tough for us to find someone who is less deserving of being honored by the government than this guy. The person that came to mind for me is Senator Joseph McCarthy. Uh, He uh, 
if anyone knows about the uh, McCarthy trials and and people and entertainers that were blacklisted for uh, either being actual communists or even if you were suspected of being communists or gay or anything else, he would go out and search you out and ruin your life, not because you were a threat to America, but because he enjoyed the headlines and the attention. Uh, I give that a parallel to Rush Limbaugh as well. I think that he didn't necessarily care uh, about a lot of these issues, but he would absolutely throw someone under the bus and and actually threaten their lives by whipping up a crowd into a frenzy just so he can get better ratings and make money. Mm -hmm. So with the other metal uh, recipients who I've profiled for this podcast, I usually kind of find something pretty early on to kind of like follow back to the, um, you know, the wall to really illuminate who this person is. And I really struggled with Rush Limbaugh uh, to kind of find those things. And it's the most I've ever had to research somebody. And one of the things that I found is that in 1996, long before he ran for Senate, uh, Al Franken wrote a book that was a number one New York Times bestseller called Rush Limbaugh is a Big Fat Idiot. And in the first chapter, he says pretty much exactly uh, what you said about Rush, which is that um, whenever he spoke to anyone who knew him in the early days of radio before he kind of discovered his voice that he would use for the rest of his career was that he wasn't this person that they, you know, heard on the radio every day. And, you know, uh, they said, uh, Al Franken goes on to say, like, the same people... I was one of those people who said the same thing about Ann Coulter, and now I would never say that on the record because I guess, like, in 96, she was, you know, really, really high profile. And it's interesting because it almost feels like the way that, you know, some people get together for when they're planning a show and are like, how can we make this the best show possible? He was essentially like, I need the reddest red meat I can possibly get to make this the most, like, outrageous show and the most, like... I want to really like rev up the my base, but I also I want to upset a lot of people uh, and really kind of um, to get more listeners. He was a proto yeah. Facebook. Like I have to say the most outrageous shit, even if I don't believe it, because I don't want them to go to another radio dial. It was like an outrage machine. Like he needed yeah. to always have the the as the as we would say today the worst take because people would continue to tune in to hear what he was going to say next. And I, I also think that whenever you, for ratings and for money, are playing around with people's views toward human rights and social rights and civil rights and women's rights, if you're doing that just for your own benefit, I think that you're disgusting. Agreed. Christine, who would your Limbaugh be? So it's... I'll explain. So my Limbaugh, as we record this on February 18th, is... Gonna go to Maggie Haberman. <laughs> I like that. Well, it's her, and it's like a larger issue that she represents. So it's it's definitely her, but like I also have some extrapolations to to make from giving it to her. So for those who don't know or are listening to this later after it's been buried by several other new cycles. Um, she is coming out with a book. It's either already dropped or is about to drop. It's in the like PR stage. So it's about to be released, um, profile on Donald Trump, who she famously had like pretty good access to as a reporter for the New York times. Um, and in it were at least two major like 
like newsworthy stories that she did not report as news, but um, put in her book and are only just now being revealed um, as the book's being rolled out. One of which is something that we alluded to last week, which is Donald Trump's, um, you know, stealing and or mishandling and or destroying um, public documents, some of which he flushed down the toilet or ate, and some of them he just, like, took to Mar-a-Lago with him and didn't give them to the National Archives. The other one is Trump has, apparently post-presidency, has had a ongoing correspondence and relationship with Kim Jong-un in North Korea in ways that uh, are incredibly inappropriate and possibly illegal for... Because it's basically, like, if you're not a... Uh, if you don't have an elected office, like you can't do public uh, foreign relations with another country, let alone a country like North Korea. Um, and to tie it into the but her emails situation, <laughs> uh, somebody tweeted about Maggie that, you know, in the pursuit of her book and preserving a scoop for the book in order to sell it, Number of articles she wrote about Trump's post-presidency relationship with Kim Jong-un or his flushing docks down the toilet. Zero. Number of articles she wrote or contributed to involving Hillary Clinton's emails between January 1st, 2015 and December 31st, 2016. 265. Mm -hmm. So something that's like... What, but why this like upsets me so much and why I'm sort of putting it on her. I, I, I'm aware that if it hadn't been her, it would have been someone else, right? Like any journalist who had access um, to Trump. Well, didn't um, Bob Woodward, he had a scoop that he put in his book about Trump that was like, everyone was pissed because they were like, why didn't, why did you like save this for your book instead of just reporting it? That's at the time? right. What was that? So the thing to me is like, I believe in journalism. Um, I think it's like incredibly important um, to keep people in power. Like the, just the ethos of what journalism is, right? They're like outside of the government and they report on the, among other things, report on the government in order to keep the public informed in order to at least try to keep public officials honest because it's like, Hey, you know, the press is going to call you out. Um, and there's a reason why it's called the fourth estate of government. Exactly. Yeah. Keeping them in check. And so, but I can't get over the, the discrepancy sometimes between, and I know that with Trump, the way that the press treated him was some of it was just them being like, but our norms, you know, and, and he acted so far outside the norm. They like didn't have, the capacity to deal with him correctly, but something like 265 stories about Hillary Clinton's emails and zero stories about these two big things with Trump. Um, cause she had, she knew about the Trump stuff, like when it was happening, right? There's no way mm-hmm. she found out about it later. It happens with celebrities too. And I actually, on, on a related note, I almost gave my limo to Chris Jenner because of like what she's created with the Kardashians and when I'm sometimes baffled by like the longevity of their fame, apparently at least part of it is because they the Kardashian family are incredible to work with. Like they're on time. They respond to emails. They send thank yous. Like didn't Kim leave like a personalized thank you note on every member of SNL's like dressing room table? I don't know. We'll get into it. Oh. <laughs> but it's just like the people who decide who gets 
written about are themselves susceptible to um, the sort of relationship building and access journalism that can sometimes end up being the complete opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. And Maggie Haberman is a prominent journalist at the New York Times. Like, she, I believe, had, like, an ethical and journalistic responsibility to report the news as news and not... I mean, we're all well aware of how long publishing takes. Like, she, I'm sure mm-hmm. this book deal was signed a year ago, you know, or more. Um, and she's probably just been keeping all her little Trump tidbits to sell the book. To sell, yeah, to make a profit based on that knowledge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she gave up her position at the New York Times as their um, bureau chief of, like, uh, government and politics to to essentially move to Florida and cover him in Palm Beach. Like, mm-hmm. she, is, she has given up being a political writer, and she is now essentially a, a gossip writer for Trump. Yeah. That, I, I, that's what I was going to say as a gossip columnist for for Trump for uh, for Trump. Mm-hmm. But so she's treating it like gossip and not like not like national security issues, which is what it is. And uh, just a we just to put the button on this, uh, the Bob Woodward uh, story that he kept hidden until the book until the release of his book was that Trump admitted to him that he was downplaying the pandemic because um, it was bad that's for him. It. Yeah. Yep. Which is yeah, that's. So it's not only Maggie, but if I had to pick someone, especially at this exact moment, it goes to Maggie. The fact that that entire industry is is protected by an amendment in the Constitution shows that that it should be treated, I think, uh, more seriously than maybe what it is in the 21st century. So as I alluded, Christine did sort of eat into mine. Um, My Limbaugh would be... Christine, are you going to apologize for that? I'm sorry. Would be Kim Kardashian West. Are you um, serious, Brian? Uh, friend of Paris Hilton, media, media icon, prison reform activist, mother, DJ. beauty tycoon. Um, to me, she... Obviously, I, I, if this ever comes across uh, to anyone who is related to the Kardashians, I do not think that Kim Kardashian has ever done anything quite as toxic as what Rush, Rush Limbaugh did. But I think that the idea that she is somebody who you could kind of dismiss on surface, but as I uh, mentioned in my profile of him, um, the people from the Washington Post kind of talking about longevity and the idea that he was the first and he was, you know, for uh, there are other people who popped up all over conservative radio. He is the only name that we can remember uh, right now. Um, I think that they have that in common. Like the idea that she jumped on to the scene with a leaked um, sex tape that um, was weaponized against her and has turned it into a media empire and has turned it into a thing where not only is she famous, but she's famous enough that we now know the names of like all of her siblings and her mother. And they've like seeped into pop culture so deeply. And I think that she, like um, any good polarizing figure, has had like ups and downs in terms of the way that she is perceived by the media. And, you know, I think famously, like one of the big ups was after she experienced that robbery in Paris where she was like essentially like held hostage and they ransacked her apartment. And then I think of the 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 days where it seemed like it was going to be over after she announced her divorce from Chris Humphreys after 72 days. And I like just to give you an idea of like how upset people were, they were married in 2011. They got divorced. Their divorce was finalized in 2013. The 
gay marriage ruling didn't come until 2015. We were still debating, like, which marriages were worth recognizing, and this bitch was out here being like, I'm going to marry an NBA star for a few days. See you guys at the special. Yeah. And I think that um, we could make a case, but to make this a little timely, to me, the situation with uh, Kanye and her divorce and their kids and the inclusion of Julia Fox is a little too dark. I don't want to get into the specifics of all of that. But to me, I find it to be a masterstroke of her that her rebound is Pete Davidson because he is the anti-Kanye, like he is kryptonite to Kanye because anything, <laughs> Kanye wants to tear you apart. Kanye's all about the image. He's all about the veneer. He's all about the polish. That masculine id, Yeah. He has no polish. He has no veneer. Anything you're going to say about Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson will say at the Weekend Update de- desk when Saturday Night Live comes back. And to me, I just, I feel that it's, I've already said, like, she's not a dumb person. She ha- She's a genius. Like, she was able to make all of this happen. But to me, the the idea that she was like, how do I like essentially hit back at Kanye? And it's like, I will date somebody who Kanye cannot touch because they're just unfuckable with. And, I mean, I have to give credit where credit is due. Plus, I think we, uh, like, if I were president, I would look so great in my, like, Brooks Brothers suit, like, putting the medal on Kim Kardashian. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she'd be wearing some, like, you know, insane, like, latex bodysuit. It would just, She'd look so out of place. And, like, I'd really want it to be, like, you know, Sonia Sotomayor and... Uh, the Dalai Lama. Like, I'd really want it to be, like, a very distinguished class. And then, like, in the middle of it is Kim Kardashian. Like, hey, guys, it's me. <laughs> hey, dolls. <laughs> I'm at the White House again. Starting with Rush Limbaugh, ending with Kim Kardashian. We have a little bit of everything on this show, you know? What would Rush Limbaugh think of Kim Kardashian? Well, that's all the time we have on the show. <laughs> yeah. I Solid picks, guys. I, I, I mean... I know this is an audio um, medium, and unfortunately we don't record the video, but if you guys could have seen my face when Christine said Maggie Haberman. <laughs> oh, man. That's yeah. a fighting word. No, you were like, Ugh. Can't wait to see uh, what we do next week. We finally made it through all 11 presidents who've given out Medal of Freedom. I'm, uh, I'm okay with saying who it's going to be. It's uh, initial class, the very first person that was announced as well, who is the singer Marian Anderson. Uh, very interesting story. Uh, there's a really good documentary on PBS that came out last week on her as well through, I believe, American Masters, if anyone is interested. And uh, yeah, can't wait to do the profile next week. Look at you giving it away. Yeah. I mean, she has been dead for, I think, 70 years. So I, I don't think we're going to be rocking about too much. All right. I guess we'll be back with our medals of the week. medals of the week who would like to start i'll start christine has raised her hand in an audio medium i'm in grad school now so like raising my hand is back to being a way i communicate i know and not just interrupting people like grown-ups do Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. um so mine is going to an actress that you guys probably haven't heard of but you either should or will hopefully hear about her soon. So like the rest of America, I was 
totally into Squid Game. I watched it, um, like, when it first came out. I was in the zeitgeist for once. I'm often like Clay, like, watching something months later when no one wants to talk about it anymore. (laughs) But I was, like, all in. It was amazing. And I don't think Clay's seen it yet, so I'll try to keep this, like, relatively vague because I think he does want to watch it. But... So this it's, act- it's past the point of spoilers at this point. Right. You're spoil away. So the actress's name is Lee Yumi, and I think like American style, we would call her Yumi Lee. Um, she was in Squid Game, Brian. She was like the girl that plays um, the marble game with like the tough chick from North Korea, and then she's like. You know, no one, I don't have anywhere to go after this. And it's like that whole yeah. episode. And she's like. She's on the show for like her screen time in the whole like eight episodes or whatever it is, is maybe 10 minutes. But I, when her character, this is not a spoiler to say it's a death elimination show. So everyone but one person dies. So when she meets her demise, like I was devastated, even though she wasn't one of the main characters because she just, she was so like compelling on screen and um, she did such an awesome job. So now the next big show, which I'm currently working my way through is called um, all of us are dead. It's also a Korean production about like a zombie outbreak that begins in a high school. And, and so this is on Netflix, Christine. Netflix, yeah. Great. Really good. It's clay. It's not like scary, scary. Like, yes, there's zombies, but you can probably, you could probably hang. Um, and so I like an, how I'm sure that listeners just think that I'm just like the worst person in the world that I uh, wait forever to watch shows and I'm scared of things. You are definitely scared of things, though. Everyone should know it. OK. Yeah. OK. We have fine. hundreds of metal recipients to go. Like, we might as well get to know each other. <laughs> that Clay is scared of scary things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If this if any of the metal recipients were like horror um, actors or something, Clay's going to have no idea what's going on. Um, Ooh, maybe maybe they're going to give it to George Romero. So this show, All of Us Are Dead, is like a huge ensemble cast between like the students and then there's like a firefighter, you know, there's like a million characters and there's a lot of tension, right? Like the survivors form these little groups and there's a lot of tension. And there's this one character where I was just like, wow, she's doing an amazing job because I hate her because she was like a very abrasive character. And when I looked up the cast list, it's the same actress who played, um this tragic character on Squid Game, and she was, like, unrecognizable. She had a complete, like, she was this sweet, like, sad character on Squid Game, and she's this total bitch on All of Us Are Dead, and I was just like, I, this chick is amazing, and it's, to me, the idea, and I looked her up, apparently she was filming them at the same time, um, Squid Game and this other show. And the idea, like, I think All of Us Are Dead is either, like, it's definitely in the top ten on Netflix. I mean, that's how I found it. And the idea that she was in, like, two of the biggest shows, <laughs> one after the other, I'm just, like, and, like, really, truly embodied both roles. I'm, like, I think, remember her name, because I think she's going to be huge. So that's my pick. Very cool. Uh, mine with it being Black History Month is a series that I believe premiered today, uh, that is directed by two PBS veterans. Their names are Barack Goodman and Jacqueline Olive. Uh, and the series is called Lincoln's Dilemma, which is a documentary series. 
and the way that I would phrase it, at least in the initial steps, is that it's definitely a uh, documentary for grown-ups in that it's not a holography and a celebration of Abraham Lincoln as this godlike figure, but as a person. And definitely celebrating the decisions that he made, but also taking a critical look at uh, the choices that he made and how America is still dealing with that to this day. Uh, unfortunately, I think we have to rely on critical thinking through television now, since a majority of states in the United States has essentially outlawed uh, critical thinking of history in the United States. Uh, I think that one thing that I found very interesting about this series through the first episode that I've seen is that it almost for the first time looks like it's almost uh, the next step in the gigantic footprint that Ken Burns left in the way that he's able to frame stories. There's something very interesting about how they treat photographs. We all know of the Ken Burns effect now and how you pan over a photo with them. There's something very interesting where they're taking an old photo and then actually building the set outside of the borders of the photo where the actual setting and the background of the photo is. So they're able to actually move within the photo itself. I don't know how to describe it. It's very interesting. People should, should check it out. Uh, another notable thing about this series on top of it being very well done is that it kind of announces Apple TV in a sense that they are looking to kind of be a major mm. player in educational television and documentary filmmaking. Mm -hmm. uh, both the, the directors, Goodman and Olive, uh, as I mentioned, are, uh, are veterans of PBS series like Frontline and American Experience. With this, I think I've mentioned it before on the show that each streaming service is trying to kind of put a little uh, signature on – the the type of work that they do with Netflix, it's obviously the the limited television series that they have. Uh, Amazon Prime tends to be these big budget epic sweeping things. Something interesting that about Apple TV, I was listening to the Ringer podcast, The Watch, and they have a prediction that by the end of 2022, that Apple TV will be viewed as an equal to Netflix and Amazon Prime. Something to remember is that Apple is the wealthiest company in the world and has the most amount of capital available and that they've been very smart about the choices that they've made with series and that we're just going to kind of wake up uh, in December and we're going to realize, oh, my God, Apple TV is, is as good as Netflix is right now. Yeah. Uh, and one of the ways that I could see them making a play for that is with historical documentaries. And I don't think necessarily threatening PBS, but almost being a complimentary uh, channel to the type of programming that PBS has. So, yeah, I recommend Lincoln's Dilemma if you'd like uh, a very interesting viewpoint of history and uh, keep an eye on what's uh, going to be coming out of Apple TV in the next calendar year. Once again, we are not a paid sponsor of Apple <laughs> TV, but I am interested to see what happens with that uh, service. 
And to drive that home, I will dissent. I refuse to put respect on the name of a streaming service that tortures us week after week with a show like The Morning Show. That's terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) For you to invest that much money, have that much talent tied up for, I don't know what, 20 weeks a year? Unacceptable. Free Reese Witherspoon. Free Reese Witherspoon. All right. My <laughs> Bring it down so you can speak. Normally. Brian, you want to you take a walk and calm down, or you good? I'm good now. Um, my medal of the week is going to go to MJ Rodriguez. Uh, this uh, week, um, as they do every year, Vanity Fair unveiled their Hollywood issue cover. And uh, this year they highlighted um, eight entertainers, uh, seven of which I believe are all movie stars, Nicole Kidman, Idris Elba, um, Andrew Garfield, uh, Kristen Stewart. A lot, they really, you know, considering this was probably shot months ago, really hit it out of the park uh, with uh, three of those people now being Oscar nominees. Um, and uh, the, you know, it's a traditional like bifold cut, like almost like a, a centerfold cover that you have to unfold to kind of see all of the stars. And usually it's a three panel. Um, and this year, I guess, uh, either due to COVID or uh, them switching it up and giving everyone a solo cover on top of the group cover, um, they've only highlighted eight. And one of the eight is MJ Rodriguez, um, who recently made history as the first uh, trans actor to ever win a Golden Globe. Um, at the ceremony for the final season of Pose, and uh, I believe is only the second trans person ever to appear on the Hollywood issue of Vanity Fair um, after Elliot Page appeared in 2008 when they did like a profile on like fresh faces in Hollywood. And I watched all of Pose. Um, I think that MJ is incredibly, incredibly talented. And I think the idea that the show was on and she never really kind of garnered any attention for it. Um, famously, the only person who was recognized from the show was Billy Porter, uh, won the, uh, the Emmy for lead actor in a drama series. But none of the trans performers were ever nominated uh, during the show's run. And then the show went off the air and it just feels like it's finally her time or their time. I... Um, probably should have looked into what their preferred pronouns are, but uh, apologies if I have mis, uh, misused them. But um, the idea that you could go from kind of being criminally overlooked on a series that you are killing it on week to week to being uh, recognized with a Golden Globe, which, you know, we now know are kind of BS, and to be, uh, you know, standing on a cover next to Andrew Garfield and Nicole Kidman is very, very exciting and very, very well-deserved, and I look forward to seeing what MJ uh, delivers next. Very cool. And Pose is found on FX and Hulu, right? Yes, because apparently Hulu now owns FX, and Disney owns Hulu. Disney owns everything. It's Disney's (laughs) world, and we're all just living (laughs) in it. Wow. Time flies when you're podcasting. Right? So, yeah, we'll be back next week with a JFK. Get your pillbox hats back on and uh, see you next week. Follow us at Limbaugh Podcast. Bye. Bye. All right, we're going to we're going to stop recording now and Brian's going to just lay into me about the morning show. See you next week. Everyone. <laughs>